0: All right. Won't you take your Bible and turn to chapter number ten? Chapter number ten. So we've been reading something that just has blessed you, stood out to you, helped you, encouraged you. Today's world, everybody's just trying to gain the world, you know. Yeah. And trying to be somebody. In the right. World, you know? don't have him. Yes. His rebuke to Peter. When Peter tried to put him in a position where he would pity himself and he recognized it right off the bat that it was the enemy. And he said, get behind me, Satan. And when he says that, some of the other gospel says he looked to his disciples. Mark's gospel says that his disciples were with him. But The other gospel says he looked to his disciples and he says, and then he begins to unveil this. Matthew 16, he begins to unveil and say this. Whosoever desires to come after me, and what he just outlined, what is is that to come after? And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must what? Suffer. Suffer many things. Be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes. Be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then, and this was the first time he's mentioned it. Now up to our reading right now, it might be in tomorrow's reading because I've done read in ahead. I'm, I'm trying to place it. And in in, from this point into the next chapter and the following chapter, we find it, he announces three times that he's going back. He start getting more. He's getting more specific of his purpose in coming. Remember, I told y'all uh, last weekend that when all he was doing was healing physical needs and feeding physical people with needs they had, multitudes gathered together to him. But when he started getting more specific in his purpose in coming, that he was going to suffer, that he would be rejected, that he was going to be killed... That was even difficult for his own disciples to embrace that were following him. Much less a crowd who didn't understand, because they didn't fully understand what he meant by all these things. Peter just understood that there's no reason why you have to be treated that way. You really don't have to go through this, because that's a natural thing to pity somebody. When they tell you that they're going to go through, and you're thinking, why would you go through that? When you've done no wrong, all you've done is help people. You've tried to bless people. There's no reason for you to have to go through suffering and rejection and be killed. That that, that doesn't make sense. Pity yourself on that. But Jesus says, that's the course I have. And what you just attempted to do is to get me off my course. Because the enemy is more mindful of the needs of man. And what man needs is affirmation. Man needs applause. Man needs this. And man doesn't need to, uh, they don't see a need of suffering and rejection and being killed. That's the furthest thing that man would want for himself. And that's why he says, you're not mindful of the things of God. Satan has been studying us. He knows a lot about us. And he knows exactly what we, he knows men love pity parties. When I say men, I'm talking about mankind, men and women. Uh, in a fallen state, we have a tendency to turn toward a pity party rather than turn into faith on on almost any given day. It's more natural to turn to self-pity and doubt than it is to turn to faith. Remember, faith is a supernatural work. It has to have a supernatural work of hearing from God and you only hear from God when you humble and humility is not a natural thing for prideful mankind remember what defiles a man not only the thing on the outside but that which comes out of what as we talked about it this morning you've been reading it and what were one of those things that comes out of the heart you have um, adulteries and fornications and immoral things and um, falsehoods and lies, but one of those things he mentioned there was pride. Pride is as natural as your next breath. But God resists to the pride. He only works with humble vessels. And that goes back to even those, remember those um, soils that we've looked at? Mark talked about them. Luke talks about them, Matthew talks about them Luke refers to that good soil That the seed fell in And began to produce a harvest Some thirty, some sixty, some hundredfold It says that it was in a good and noble heart Well man wasn't born with a good and noble heart Amen. No man has a good and noble heart Remember Jesus said to this y- rich young ruler There is none good except who? God. One, that's right And so a good and noble heart is a product of a good and noble God. He's done a work in that heart. That heart's been made available by his grace to plant some seed in it to bring about a harvest in there. And when that happens, we see that heart is, is humbled. A good and noble heart is a humble heart that can receive the word of God. But a prideful heart is a hard heart. It's that heart seed by the wayside, that shallow ground, those things that just doesn't receive the seed that God sows in it. And as Brother Greg said, the difference that it makes is how people look at life, of wanting this and needing that and trying to gain everything, but Jesus never comes into the radar. He's not hes not even a, in the thought process. Yeah, every once in a while, it's kind of like Herod. You know, Herod looked at John the Baptist, and he respected John the Baptist. He feared John the Baptist, because John the Baptist was no joke. He wasn't one to mess around with. And when he spoke, he spoke with authority. And he knew that he had transgressed in what he did, but he had to do something with him. And then when he stuck his neck out on the line and opened his mouth, and pride then took a hold of him, instead of humbling himself, he went ahead and granted their request. That's why Jesus told his disciples, there's three people. There's three, I'm pretty sure there's three, that you've got to be careful of the leaven. The leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Sadducees, and the leaven of Herod. Herod represents a lot of people that that only think about God when they're in the presence of godly people. And they appreciate them and they respect them, but they, they have no intentions to live like them. That's the leaven of Herod. And we, we, we encounter more people like the leaven of Herod than we do anybody else. They respect us. They, they know there's something different about us. But they're not going to live in what we have. They just can recognize it. They, they don't want it. That's that leaven of hair. Think about how many people you work around that are like that, and they appreciate things, and, and, and they don't, they don't mock you. They're not going to laugh at you, but they're not going to join you. They're not going to surrender. They're not going to give up and, and, and follow after the Lord. It's okay for you to do it, and they're not going to be a problem for you. See, the Pharisees would be a problem for you. That's that legalistic mindset that is just going to uh, tell you that, that yeah, I understand what you're doing, but it ain't enough. And, and, and they don't provide no, no answers for freedom. They just condemn you. And that's what the Pharisees did. They liked to control and manipulate and, and to look better than what they really were. And we, we deal with that issue. And that's something that we all have to be careful. We, see, we have a tendency to act more like a Pharisee. At times in the church because we see things and understand things and know things differently than other people so we can we can kind of uh, get up on our toes and kind of point down at them for not doing what they ought to be doing and and we can come across that well you Sadducees were smart people and 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 they had some beliefs of, of God but they didn't believe in supernatural powers they didn't believe in resurrection they didn't believe in and miracles and that type of thing. And, and, and they were not as as pointed as the, as the Pharisee was. They was just more, um, they observed things and more reserved in how they approached things. And see, we can have the tendency to even act like a Sadducee at times. And, and so, but, but what we come across more than anything in, this, in, in our world that we live in, I believe in our day, Is the leaven of Herod. It's prominent. And we, we, we see that. So he goes on to say, when he looked at those disciples, he says, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny. What does that word deny speak of when you think of deny? Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Let him deny. put away, you deny something, you put it away. Okay. Put away self. Anybody else? Just, just Anything that comes to you? Put away the ideas of denouncing, denouncing a right. And, and when he makes it personal, like deny himself, it, it has the idea of a denouncing a right to govern himself, denouncing a right to, to rule himself. Whoever wants to come after me, whoever wants to follow into this life of, of being willing to, to suffer and be rejected and mocked and laughed at must first want to follow me. That's obvious. And he wants to follow me to the point that he's willing to denounce his own right to go his own way. Meaning he's submitting to me if he's going to follow me. I am a master, I'm a teacher, I'm a disciple maker, and you surrender, you submit yourself to my teaching. That that's, Discipleship had been around before Jesus took upon flesh. Princes, principles of discipleship have been around for ages, and, and there's rules within discipleship. You've got to have, a, you have a, a teacher if you're going to have discipleship. And you got to have a disciple. Without those two elements, you don't have discipleship. you got to have a willing teacher and a willing student. And that student is willing to give up his life and his ways. He denounces uh, that right to himself to submit himself to that teacher. So that he can learn everything that teacher can teach him. And people have been doing these principles of discipleship for years. That's where he said, what's the aim of a a disciple is to be like his teacher. Jesus was telling his people in that day that looked around and said, what's the aim of a disciple? Why does people follow a rabbi? Why does he follow a teacher? Why did they follow John? They wanted to be like him. And Jesus said, if you want to be like me, you got to, one, really want to be like me. Number two, you have to denounce the right to govern your own life. You denounce, when you denounce the right to govern your own life, you denounce the right to comforts and conveniences because you put yourself at the mercy of this teacher. And if this teacher decides that you need to live out in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, you don't argue with him, that's what you do. Or you, you follow me, that, that's the role of the, of the disciple-teacher role. You have a pupil who wants to know and learn and a teacher who's willing to invest all that he has into those students or in that student. So he's saying that if you want to really follow me, you, you have to denounce the rights to your own life. Number two, or number three, you have to take up your own cross and fall after me. We don't take up the cross that Jesus bore. God has a cross that we're to bear. They wasn't going to carry a cross to the cross. That's why when we often look at Peter's life and we we kind of poke at Peter, that boy Peter always went off at the mouth. He was quick and he responded fast when something happened and he was an aggressive type of person and he told the Lord he wasn't going to deny him. Because in Peter's heart, he didn't want to deny him. He wanted to stand with him. But he said, you don't know what you're talking about, Peter. God's going to strike the shepherd, me. And when he does, his sheep are going to scatter. They're going to, they're going to scatter. You're going to return back to your own thing. I alone must be the one who goes to the cross. You can't go to the cross with me. That's what God's chosen me to do. He's got something else for you. And see, that's just it. We bear our cross. The cross that we bear is the course that we run, the race that God has sets before us. It's our mission that he gives unto us in his name for his gospel, for his kingdom's sake. So we've got to want to follow him. We denounce rights to our own life and then we take up the mission that God's assigned to us. Now on that mission, it's going to involve some suffering. It's going to involve some rejection. It's going to be, involve being uh, ridiculed and killed. And that's why he said, don't get in the way of anybody that wants to really follow me. Don't try to talk him out of it. Let him denounce his rights. Let him take up the cross and let him be willing to die for my name's sake. That's the role of, of the discipler and, the, and the, the, those that are being discipled. Herod says, that's noble. But I ain't doing it. That's the leaven of Herod. Herod. And that's what we see today, as you mentioned. So oh, we got too many other good things. It's alright to have a little religion. But Give that to me when I die. Give that to me when I die. I'm gonna live for myself. I'm gonna get all I can, keep all I can, can all I can, and use up all I can while I can. Rather than saying, Master, what do you have? What what is my mission? What have you given me? I want to fall after you and fall after you hard. The way of the master's tough, ain't it? Amen. Anybody tell you it's easy? They not They have never walked with him. Now his yoke is easy to bear, meaning he he bears us and he gives us rest for our soul in the labor that he's called us to. That's why he says, "Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden and burdened, and take upon my yoke, for my yoke is light and easy to bear." I I, I will help you. I'll be the I'll be the lead in this, and you're gonna follow with me and I'll bear the, the burden of it and I'll give you rest for your soul not rest from the work not rest from the labor but rest for your soul in the work amen that's why we, we've been talking about that a little bit more lately and emphasize and I try to get on a, a certain thing and, and talk about it a little bit more than normal is that we're not asking God to fix uh, it whatever it is we're asking him to fix us for it. That he does something within us and gives us rest for the soul for what we have to face on the journey of bearing our cross, denying ourselves, and following after Jesus. Amen? Amen. And, and that's what, he ties that together with eternal life, doesn't he? Yeah. He said, what if a man gained the whole world but lose his soul? What, what has he gained? He's lost everything. He's lost it all. And it goes along with, look in chapter number 10. I think it is. Notice what he says in chapter number 10. In verse number 17. Not, not 17. 27. I was looking at chapter 11. It's 1027. This is in relationship to uh, this, this young guy who, who's come running to him and wanted to know about eternal life and his disciples are asking him questions about these things, verse 26 says, and they were, and they were greatly astonished saying among themselves, who then can be saved? Who then? I mean, it, it, it puzzled them. They wanted to know and that's a great question to ask. Jesus said in verse 27, But Jesus looked at them, and he said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are what? Possible. Then Peter began to say to him, Look, behold, we left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, "Assuredly I say to you, There is no one, who has left his house or his brothers or his sisters or his father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and what? The, gospel. the gospels. Who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time? Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions. And in the age to come eternal life. But many who are considered to be first will be last. And the last first. Now, when you first look at that, which goes along exactly with what Mark 8 is saying. There's a couple things we can observe out of this. Luke talks about it, and Matthew talks about it as well. Luke says it like this. For those who have left houses, mothers and fathers and wife and children and lands, for the kingdom's sake. Matthew's gospel says, for my name's sake. And we believe that he's talking about all three. For my name's sake, for the gospel's sake, for the kingdom's sake, we'll gain a hundredfold in this life and eternal life in the age to come. Now, how how does that happen? Well, here's another observation. Notice what he didn't put as being um, plural or gaining more. He didn't say you're going to gain more wives. Everything else he mentioned, he says you're going to gain what? Mothers, fathers, children, lands, houses, all that. But he didn't re-enter. He didn't emphasize wife. Neither of the Gospels, Luke, Mark, or Matthew says that. Matter of fact, the New Testament commentaries want to leave out. the The newer translations want to leave out wife. They don't even mention it in there. Because it's not mentioned in the second part. They said it's not there. But Luke's gospel uh, mentions it without a note that it was not there because it was there. But how in the world does, what does he mean? What does he mean there? He says that we're going to gain, when we leave all that for his name's sake, that we gain a hundredfold in this life. How does that work? Yeah, we gain it as the family of God. Remember when the disciples come and said that your mother and your brothers are looking for you? And he says, who did he say was his mother and brother? Anybody that does God's will. (laughs) That's my mother and my sisters and my brothers and and all. Anybody who does God's will who are in the camp matter of fact, John tells us the only way to see and be part of the kingdom is you've got to be what? Born again. The only way to be part of the kingdom of God is to be what? Born again. So born, only the born again can leave everything for the kingdom. Only the born again can leave everything for His namesake. Only the born again will leave everything for the gospel's sake. And I love how Mark 8 emphasizes that. Those that leave that that take up the cross and follow me for for my name's sake and the gospel because not only are we giving our life up to the man Jesus Christ we're giving our life up, up to the message of Jesus Christ Amen. that's the gospel that's that dying that's that I'm giving my life up to be an ambassador of the kingdom of God of the gospel of the kingdom of the grace of God and that's That's something that he pointed out here. He says, for my glory's sake, that would be his name's sake, for my gospel's sake, and for my grace's sake. Why? Because he teaches us that grace is a gift not only to believe but also to suffer for his name's sake. Turn over to Philippians real quick. Look in Philippians. Watch this. But yeah, we gain those things when we gain our brothers in the family of God. Houses. What's mine is yours. Yours is ours. It's, it's it is the idea. Minus wives. Are you with me? Your mother is my mother. Your father is my father in the kingdom. Your brethren is... is, is my brethren, your lands, our lands, our houses, minus, who? Wives. That's important. He makes an emphasis on that. That's important. Where did I say Philippians? Philippians 1, 27. Notice what it says. only let your conduct be worthy or fitted that gives glory to the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for what the faith of the gospel Paul is simply saying, you at Philippi, uh, you are one. You are one body. You are one people. And everything you are and everything you have is to be gospel-centered. All that you possess, all that you do is to be around the gospel, to be used for the gospel's sake. In verse 28, and don't be in any way terrified by your adversaries which is to them a proof of perdition. Because they persecute the brethren, it's proof of who they are. But to you, it's proof of salvation. And that proof and salvation is a gift from who? God. That comes from God. Verse 29, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but to also suffer for his sake. He said, look, you're going to gain lands and houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and all these things and persecutions. That's going to be part of your life now because you have left that for my name's sake, for the gospel's sake, and for the grace of God's sake. And grace not only gave you what you needed to trust Jesus, but it's also going to give you a gift called suffering for his name. Amen? Wow. <clears throat> yeah, Yeah, we, we, we don't want to go out and do anything yeah, but, to gain I mean, it. But if you're, if, if you're, doing you're doing what we're supposed to be doing. People are not... They, yes, they're, they're going to be an element that people are gonna are not going to like what you're doing. If you don't get, get nothing, then you're probably missing something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially when all we're ever around for the bulk of it, and day in, day out, or say, let's say unbelievers. Uh, we live in a, in, in a more civilized society where people will, will give us the benefit of the doubt. People will... Continue to watch you. And as long as you don't get personal, they'll let you do your own business. and not going to bother you. But if you start getting personal with them, just like Herod, he got personal with Herod. With his new wife, he got personal with her. He had to act. And even though he didn't want to, because of pride, he had to stand up, man up, and be a man about it. Because his wife was telling him, you got to do this. Others was telling him you have to say something about it. But he really didn't want to. And that's where a lot of people are that we live around today. They'll leave us alone as long as we're not making it personal about them. And, And, of course, we don't want to go make things personal and pride people and try to see this happen. He says it's just going to naturally happen. That's the neat thing. As we get closer to the cross, Jesus is getting more and more specific of the cost of following him. He's, He's not that he's leaving off the physical things that he's done. He's just getting more refined and intentional in his purpose. He's always been winsome. He's always been approachable. He's always accessible. But he's becoming more, he's affirming more of the main purpose of this coming. It's not to put food in that man's belly and it's not to necessarily just heal that person. I've come to die that you may have life. And you you don't have life because you don't know me. And that gets personal with people. And that tells people that they're not who they thought they were. And the whole purpose of the cross is, is the fact that sinners are sinners, and sinners could only be saved through Jesus. And Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. And no man can be saved apart from him. He is God's only answer. And When we, when we, begin, when we refine that message down to him being the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no other way, that begins to find opposition from others. And when we refine it, that he does make a difference in people's lives. That he does call us to things. He does call us to denounce our life, to take up the cross and follow after him. And, and it's not that we can be a fan and just shout on everybody. That he's called us to forsake our lives for the sake of his gospel. That we are on the playing field of life. Bringing that gospel to a world who stands in need of it. Amen. Yeah. And um, so we just want to um, trust him. Yeah. Do what he asks us to do. Continue to go. Don't get distracted by people. And what people do, let, as he says, walk worthy of the gospel. That's it. Let the gospel govern your life. Not what people say about it. Not how people respond to it. But let the gospel govern your life. Let Christ govern your life. Remember he died for all that those that live should live no longer for themselves but for him who died and rose for them. Amen. Amen. Old Boo shared that passage on one of her weekly memory verses a couple of weeks ago. Man that's the message of the gospel of the kingdom. We enter into a new life. Amen. Amen. New, new answers new affirmations new Acknowledgements New allegiances All those come with being a new creature In Christ To him be the glory for it Amen Amen. Father we thank you tonight We praise you We give you glory Thank you for the opportunity to be able to uh, Share some of the things You have been speaking in And through your people And that we've been able to look at them And talk about them And we just pray that you help us in our uh, diligence as we continue to prepare people for a coming storm. Because it's coming. Either we're looking uh, for our Savior who is coming, or we can only anticipate a storm that we won't make it through without you. We praise you and we give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Love y'all.